Hello, this is Pastor Lute. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. I still remember being a young kid, uh, Grandma's house in Ohio, and uh, somehow the, the movie Sound of Music came on. I don't remember if it was a video cassette or if it just was on TV because it was that time of the year or something like that. And it's Grandma, so of course her TV's like this big. And, um, and uh, Mom and Grandma were very excited. They're like, oh, Sound of Music. Oh, like, you've got to watch this movie. Like, it's really good, you know? And as a young child, I was like, ugh, I don't... Like, like you got a picture of a nun singing on a hill by herself, and what, there's like three hours of this nun that sings? Like, ah, you're not selling it. Like, I'm not excited about, like, thank you, I'll pass, I have better things to do. Um, and in their love for me, they made me watch it. Uh, that's how they would describe it. And, um, but it was good. Like, it was actually a good movie. I was like, I actually enjoyed that. Like, that, that wasn't too bad. Now, 30 years later, you know, I'm like, kids. Sound of Music, like at least once, like just give it a shot, right? I mean, like it's old, but it's not like cheesy old, right? It's not like Man from Snowy River, right? Like it's old, but it's still good old, you know? So like at least once, you you, you need to watch Sound of Music. Um, We're starting a sermon series on the Minor Prophets. And I'm very aware that when I say sermon series of Minor Prophets, a lot of you are like, yeah, I'm going to pass. Um... That sounds really boring and kind of lame, and I don't, that's, no, I'm, I'm good. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll pass. Um, so I, my, my hope is, and prayer is to just convince you this morning that, that this is going to be an okay thing, um, and that actually afterwards, uh, when, when we finish up this, this sermon series, you know, it's going to be like, you know, that was actually good. Like, I, I needed that, and... Maybe I can convince the kids to someday read Minor Prophets. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing. For, for the next few weeks, we're, we're going to be going through Minor Prophets. Today, I'm just going to do an overview, just kind of give you a big picture to see how they, they all tie together and, and how they're connected. To me, that helps a lot, just understanding the, the bigger picture context. And, and so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to spend a few days in uh, Amos and then maybe a few days in Hosea. And then we'll just kind of see how we are for time. But currently, that's, that's the plan. So um, just kind of a lead into the Minor Prophets. So just a little bit of, of, of history so you understand where they fit, right? So uh, in Scripture, we've got the family of, of, um, of Israel, and they moved to Egypt during a famine. And that's the story of Joseph. Pretty popular story, uh, that whole story, right? And the, the mean brothers, and they sell them into slavery and that kind of thing, okay? They're there for 400 years. Population explodes. After 400 years, we're probably looking at a million plus people. But while they've been in Egypt, um, the Pharaoh has put them under slavery, so it's tough living. So God comes in and he basically springs them out of prison, springs them out of of Israel, out of slavery. Um, And then that's the story of Moses. Also super popular story. Um, Moses uh, leads them through the desert for 40 years for various reasons. Uh, And then eventually they are able to enter into the promised land. At first they're ruled by judges, uh, who kind of act as God's mouthpiece, God's representative. I think there's 12 of them. That is the book of Judges. Good job. Um, And then after that they get three kings, David, uh, Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. Also popular stories. After Solomon dies, so you've got 12 tribes, right? They each have a piece of land. 
Um, after Solomon dies, they have a little tiff. They don't really agree on some stuff. And so they split into two countries. The northern ten tribes, they form their own country. They keep the name Israel and they do their own thing. And then there's two tribes to the south. They form their own country and they adopt the name Judah. And so from that point forward, we're dealing with Israel and Judah and we're talking about the two countries. First and second Kings, first and second Chronicles gives us a lot of the, the different kings that these countries had and how that went and that kind of thing. Uh, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, pretty much the same stories, only told from different perspectives. So if you were to read it chronologically, you'd read a little bit in Kings and then a little bit in Chronicles, and it's the same story, different perspective, a little bit in Kings, a little bit in Chronicles. If you just read them start to finish, you're going to get in Chronicles, and you're going to be like, wait, I thought we, I thought we covered all this before. And it's because, well, you did. They're the, they're the same thing, just um, told differently. Um, their obedience to God is uh, pretty spotty uh, during this time. So God sends a number of prophets to say, you know, hey, Israel, hey, Judah, uh, you really need to change your ways. You need to repent. You, turn to, you need to turn to God uh, or God's going to punish you and it's going to be really bad. That brings us to the prophets. So there's five major prophets. Um, that is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. They're called the major prophets because they wrote big books. That's it. That was the criteria. You want to be a major prophet? Nothing to do with your life? Just write a lot. Then we have 12 books of the minor prophets. And they're called the minor prophets because they wrote just a little bit. Okay? It's not, it's not a difficult criteria. And, and there's 12 of those. These stories are going to be very important to us for a couple of, of different reasons. Um, first of all, as, as, we, as we're kind of going over the minor prophets um, these next few weeks, one of the things is that they do tell us what's important to God. Um, I mean, we love Jesus, we love God, our desire is to love him, serve him, and obey him. We want to be a people and a church who worship him, but also live out his values uh, day to day in our lives. God's character has not changed between Old Testament and New Testament. How we relate to him has changed, but his character has not changed. Sometimes we get a little bit sloppy in our theology, and we're like, oh, Old Testament is grumpy God, and New Testament is nice God who doesn't care about my sin, right? No, that's bad theology, okay? God's character is consistent throughout, but it does change because now we interact with God through Jesus, and also because he has instituted his church. And so there are some, some differences there. Um, so God's character has, has not changed. How we relate to him has changed a little bit. So these minor prophets are going to tell us a lot about what God values. The other thing, too, is that if you, if you look at scripture and you just say, okay, how much space is dedicated to the prophets? Major prophets and minor prophets are over 25% of scripture. So if... If God thinks that, that this material is relevant enough to dedicate over 25% of his Bible to these writings, then that should probably be a clue to us that this still has some significance and relevance in our life, right? Because he could have just said, there were some prophets, they said some grumpy things, moving on, right? He didn't. We get 25% of our scripture is dedicated to that. So we, we, we need to honor that. We can't just ignore that. Um, second reason. Okay, we're going to read a lot about judgment uh, in some of these prophets. But, but 
But the judgment is really, you know, you guys need to shape up, or another nation's going to come in and destroy you, and bad things are going to happen, and it sounds bad, and it would be bad. But you have to remember that the stakes today for us are even higher. The, the, the stakes that we deal with today are far higher than, than what the prophets deal with. Because what the prophets were dealing with was, hey, shape up, or maybe this other country will come in and invade you and, and haul you away as slaves and it's going to be rough. What we're dealing with is warnings to say, hey, you need to be reconciled with God because the alternative is eternal, eternal separation from God in a really awful place called hell. We're dealing with far bigger ramifications than, than what they were dealing with. So we don't want to get too dismissive about what, what they were saying or, or how, how they were saying it. Third, a lot of the men who wrote these, like these were not, a couple were, but a, not, a lot were not like in professional ministry roles. They were shepherds, they were ranchers, farmers, I mean, just they had pretty ordinary lives, had a job taking care of their family, and then God says, oh, by the way, I need you to go say some things and do some things. All right? And so there's, there's a lot where we can really relate with. Amos, who we're going to look, look at, the guy was a shepherd, and he said he worked with trees. And he was, he was just minding his own business. And then God said, you need to head up to the capital and, and say some awkward things to some people. And he did it, right? Um, we are adamant believers in the priesthood of all believers. Uh, in, back in the day, it was believed that, that only the priests could you know, hear from God or, or speak on behalf of God. We don't believe that. We believe that God has equal access to all of us, that all believers carry the Holy Spirit within them. And that means that the burden of sharing God's message is just as much on you as it is on me. Okay? We are, we're one and the same on that one. Fourth, the sins that get named in these, um, especially Amos, they are just as relevant today uh, as they were back then. Amos alone is going to call out uh, uh, people and the nation of Israel for idolatry, where they're worshiping other gods, their lack of social justice, how they treated the poor. This is a huge theme for, for Amos, we'll, we'll probably have to do one sermon dedicated just to the topic of, of social justice or biblical justice. Um, he's going to address corrupt court systems. Um, Israel is in a time of prosperity, and God is going to call them out for their love of luxury. Uh, we see husbands and wives not behaving in a godly, as a godly family should. There's some weird sexual sins that get named. Uh, another big theme in Amos is that from external appearances, the church is doing well. It's full, people are giving money, um, lots of attendance, things are going well. But their sins of social justice were so atrocious that God is actually, he, he, he actually says he is disgusted by their worship service and he wants nothing to do with it. And it's, it's actually pretty disturbing. The parallels between what Amos is going to call Israel out for and really a lot of what we see today in America. I mean, I could literally rewrite the book of Amos, but just address it to the U.S., and people would read it and, and be like, oh, yeah, you got me, right? I mean, the, the, the parallel is, is, is pretty disturbing. Um, you should also know, though, just 
just kind of as, as a heads up, um, the, the reason why what we're going to tackle Amos um, is just felt called to, to preach to it, really didn't realize all the parallels until later on, so if you think I'm coming at you with some kind of social agenda, I'm not just trying to remain faithful to, to where I felt God leading us to preach, and then got into it and was like, oh, that's going to be awkward. Okay, here we go. So, um, not coming at you with an agenda. Uh, last thing uh, I would encourage you to do, as, as we go through these texts, you know, look for ways that you can relate to both, both the prophet but also the sinner. Sometimes when we read the stories, we just like to look for ways where we relate to the hero. Uh, and sometimes we don't look for ways that maybe we relate to, to like the villain, or, right? Because it's always like, how can I be like David, not how am I being like Goliath, you know? And um, so just as, as we go through this, just look for ways that, you know, how can I be more like Amos and in what way am I behaving like Israel? Uh, you can pull up that slide. Um, I'm a visual learner. This, this helps me. I just want to do kind of a flyover of the, the minor prophets. Gave you kind of a lead up um, to this, not this slide, that slide. Um, so, I mean, you can't read it because the, the script is Saul, but you've got, the, you've, you've got King Solomon, and then the, king, the, the country is divided into Israel and Judah. Um, go to the next slide. We'll just zoom in on Israel a little bit, just the timeline on where the prophets fill in and, and how they're connected, because you will start to see how they're related to one another. So Amos is the first one that, that gets mentioned. He's in Israel, right? So, or he, he preaches to Israel. So that's the, the northern ten tribes. He's a farmer shepherd. He's called to give a message of warning to the people, to the government. Um, they have grown complacent. They are spiritually lazy. They're hypocritical. Uh, justice, injustice in the form of slavery, greed, mistreatment of the poor was a commonplace. A um, common or a popular verse out of Amos is, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Uh, Martin Luther quoted that in his letter from Birmingham jail. Israel is not going to heed the warning of Amos. So a little while later, God is going to send in Hosea. Uh, Israel continues to turn from God. God continues to pursue Israel. The people are not getting the message so as kind of a visual aid to Israel, God commands Hosea to find an unfaithful wife and marry her. Now, how you do that, I'm not sure. All right? Like, I don't, I, I don't know what that selection process looked like, if it's a dating app or just reputation or whatnot. He finds himself an unfaithful wife, um, and she is unfaithful. She has affairs with other men. She has children by other men. Um, Hosea keeps loving her, he keeps pursuing her, he keeps taking her back. And the whole thing is an example to the people of Israel that they are having multiple like adulterous affairs with other gods. They're cheating on, on the one true God and God's relentless pursuit of them. That's Hosea. That's, that's his life. Um, after Hosea, the country of Assyria is going to conquer Israel, haul away like, it's like 90% of them into captivity, and that's pretty much the last we ever hear of them. Okay, so that brings us to Jonah, um, and he is called to, he's the most famous of the prophet, right, because he was the one that got swallowed by the fish. Um, would, discussion, would you rather be Hosea or Jonah? Both sound pretty rough to me, Right? Unfaithful wife or swallowed by a fish for three days. You can talk about that at Sunday school next time. Um, 
Nineveh is a city in Assyria. I think it might even be the capital of Assyria. I'm not sure. Assyria was the country that just invaded Israel, did a lot of horrible things to the people of Israel, and then hauled them away. Jonah is being asked to God, by God to go to the, the city of Nineveh, which is all these people who just conquered his land. He's supposed to preach repentance, and Jonah does not want to go because he's nervous that if he goes and if he preaches repentance, they will repent, and then God will be nice to them. So Jonah does not want to go to, to Nineveh. And, um, and that's the, the whole struggle like that. I mean, imagine preaching to the person who abused and murdered your spouse. Now imagine a whole city of those people. That's what Jonah is being called to. Uh, he eventually goes. He preaches to Nineveh. They do repent. They turn to God. And right up to the very end, uh, Jonah has a bad attitude about it. But then someone had to write the book, so he probably changed his mind eventually, because then he had, to, he had to go back and write the book. So there, there's some speculation on that one. Nahum also preaches. Uh, so Nineveh turns to God, but only for a little while. Nahum pre preaches to Nineveh, um, and he says, look, you're going to be ruined by another country. No city, no nation is so powerful that it's beyond the reach of God. And then Assyria and Nineveh eventually fall. So that's, that's the connection there. Pretty dramatic stuff. Next slide. So then, then we'll go down to Judah. Um, Judah gets a whole string of prophets. We start with Joel. Joel says that there's going to be a coming judgment and it's going to be like an invasion of locusts, uh, which is uh, uh, kind of a pretty terrifying uh, deal. Um, he, and he is begging them to turn back to God. Uh, Joel is also probably best known for predicting the, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that happens in Acts 2. He foretells that. Okay. Meanwhile, over we got to take a short jog over into um, Edom. That's... I don't know if you can read that from the back. Obadiah preaches to, to Edom. Um, you guys remember the story of Jacob and Esau, right? Two brothers didn't really get along. You'd probably say they hated each other. Like, that's probably a fair assessment. The descendants of Jacob are Israel. The descendants of Esau are Edom. Jacob and Esau hated each other. And really, that bitterness carried all the way down throughout all the generations. And so Edom had done some pretty harsh things to the, the nation of Israel. And um, Obadiah says, you guys need to, to turn back to God. So he's over there uh, preaching to, uh, to Edom. Back in Judah then, the next one we have up is Micah. Similar message. Uh, you're following false prophets. You have hypocritical religion. Disaster is coming if you, if you don't repent. Main idea is that God truly desired for men and women um, he doesn't want their religious ritual. He wants faithful living. Very popular verse out of Micah. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Next we have uh, Zephaniah. Uh, similar message, God's judgment. His is a little bit different, though, because he portrays not just a day of suffering, but actually a day of rejoicing. Because he's speaking on behalf of all the oppressed people in Israel who are being un unjustly oppressed by, by kind of the, the upper class. Um, and so uh, there, there's a sense of, of rejoicing and fulfillment in Zephaniah. Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to say it, totally different direction with, with, with Habakkuk. 
Um, he asks the tough questions, and he says, why does God allow evil to exist? Why, like, if God is sovereign, why do wicked people prosper? Like, some of you should just go home and read Habakkuk this evening. Like, that should be your homework. Uh, he brings these questions to God in prayer uh, and, and finds some consolation in that. Uh, people back then wrestled with the same difficult questions that, that we wrestle with today. I find it fascinating, though, that Habakkuk is the last prophet before they get dragged away into exile. I, I think the, the first wave doesn't come back until 70 years. So, you know, I mean, people are getting dragged away, and it's probably not going to be probably their grandkids or great-grandkids that, that get to return home. Um, as the last prophet, these would be some really great writings to stick in your pocket as you're being hauled away to a few generations of slavery. Why does God allow the bad things to happen? Why does God allow the evil people to prosper? Um, I think it's, I, I just find it fat. I, I think there's something in there on God equipping his people for an upcoming hard time. Um, after Habakkuk, Judah is captured by the Babylonians. Again, most are hauled away uh, to captivity. I think it's 70 years before the first wave is allowed to return. The first wave comes back. They rebuild the temple. That's the book of Ezra. Second wave returns. They, build, uh, they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That's the book of uh, Nehemiah. That temple, those walls, that's then what Jesus interacts with, right? So when we read the stories of Jesus, it's, um, that's the setting on that. First up afterwards then, after the return, is Haggai. Uh, he's a pretty positive guy, message of hope. God is still with you. He writes, be strong, Zerubbabel. Uh, be strong, Joshua. Be strong, people of the land. I am with you. Uh, this is the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. It's very positive. Zechariah, also very positive. Message of hope. Gives some good prophecies on Jesus. Gives some prophecies that probably get uh, fulfilled on Palm Sunday. So now the... You know, now things are really starting to focus on, on the coming of Jesus. Last up is Malachi, and it's kind of the last warning. He, you're, you're turning from God, your leaders are leading you astray. Last book of the Old Testament, last of the minor prophets. Um, the, some of the last words, actually these might be the very last words, that Malachi writes, right? So actually last words of the entire Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet... Before the great and awesome day the Lord comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, uh, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. 400 years later, Luke is going to write in his account of John the Baptist, verse, chapter 1, verse 17. So this is almost right out of the gate, right at the very beginning of Luke, writing about John the Baptist, and he will go before him and the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord people prepared. So even though you've got 400 years between Malachi and Jesus, the connection is almost seamless between the two. Okay, so a few themes that you should already be picking up on this. The first is that God is really really, really tenacious about pursuing those he loves. And, and spoiler alert, like he loves all of you, just like if you weren't sure where you landed on that, okay? 
He loves you, he loves the people of York, loves the people of this country, this state, right? He is, like, he's, he's relentless. And, and as much as it is a message of, please shape up, otherwise pending destruction, I mean, it is a message of just him pursuing time and time and time again, please return to me. Um, we're going to see, that's probably one of the biggest uh, themes. Some of the other themes that, that we've seen and that we'll explore in more detail, sin is bad, idolatry is bad, social justice is a big topic, how we treat others influences what God thinks of our worship services, uh, good and pure worship is important, repentance is important, this idea that God uses ordinary people to, to proclaim these messages. Um, God is not just angry about sin, but he's also saddened by it. That's another one. Um, and in the minor prophets, really, God's character is not so much marked by anger or even really threats of judgment. Rather, his character is marked by this steadfast, loving kindness and pursuit of those who have betrayed him time and time and time again. Right? You cannot sin so bad as to be rejected by God. I mean, even though Israel is kind of the main focus of, of, of the Old Testament, like if you look at the deal, everybody's getting the message. Assyria is getting the message. Edom is getting the message. Like everybody's getting the message. Repent and, and, and turn to me, turn to God, love God, worship God, receive his favor, his love, his forgiveness and fellowship. Never too late. Never too late to return to God. Right now, um, for the class that I'm taking, uh, we're reading a book on leadership uh, called The Leadership Challenge by, by Kuz and Posner, a bit of a classic. Uh, they've done all these studies and researches and, and that kind of thing and, and identified certain traits uh, for a good leader. One of the very first traits that they mention on, on good leadership is that leaders must do what they say they will do. Right? Leader, leaders must walk what it is that, that they talk. Because if you don't, you lose credibility, no one wants to follow you, you're considered untrustworthy, unreliable, you should not be followed. And it's a pretty similar message to the minor, in the Minor Prophets, uh, especially in Amos that, that we're going to look at. If our lives, social justice, how we treat others, purity, godliness, that kind of thing, if they do not line up with, with who and what we claim to worship, then one of the messages is that God really isn't interested in our worship services and our festivals. If we're not living it out there, he's not really impressed by what happens in here. One hour a week, right? Like it just, it doesn't make up for it. I think it's going to be an interesting few weeks. Uh, I'm excited for this, a bit nervous. Uh, about where Amos and, and other prophets are going to take us. But uh, I'm hoping and praying that, that kind of like Sound of Music, afterwards we're going to think, you know, better than I expected. So Let's pray, and then we will sing. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the relevance of Scripture. And Lord, as we prepare to, uh, to learn from you through the minor prophets, Lord, again, we want to come before you humbly with, with open hands and an open heart and uh, just receive all that, that you would have for us. And Lord, we thank you for just the continued relevance 
of Scripture, and maybe, maybe that speaks more to just how we keep repeating the same sins, uh, decade after decade and millennia after millennia. Not sure. Maybe it's our, our sins that just don't change. But either way, Lord, um, you continue to have a relevant message uh, in Scripture. And Lord, our desire is ultimately to know you better, to love you better, uh, to lead lives that honor you, glorify you, see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I ask your blessing, your protection upon this group as they head out. Uh, and uh, just another week of living and life, I pray that it is a good week. I pray that it is uh, a week where they know your voice and know your spirit. pray that you would protect them, keep them from temptation. Lord, um, and we look forward to gathering again in just a few days. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have questions about Christ or church or would like more information, email me directly at luke at hendersonmbchurch.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.